0: Now he is your
1: host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and a huge welcome to the Business Elevation Show. It's great to be back with you again for uh, yet another week and yet another amazing guest. I do hope wherever you are in the world, that uh, that uh, life is uh, is going okay for you. And uh, you know, if if not, if you're struggling, you know, do take the opportunity oh. to utilise some of the archive to kind of help you wherever you are in life, wherever you are in business. Now, on last week's show, we had Seal Stanford, and I thought that was a really insightful show, um, and particularly you know, if, if in life you're challenged a little bit at the moment. and um, Seal talked about, about the different zones in life uh, around the red zone, amber zone, and green zone, and how to get into the golden zone. And uh, we talked about uh, their, methodo- their methodology, which came from a, a gentleman called Alan Walters originally, um, and about keeping our kind of energy really, really positive and the importance of kind of magnifying that that positivity through your dream, through a vision, practicing, 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 learning, making mistakes, etc., but doing that in a, with that positive energy as much as you can muster to take yourself through to achieving great results. I, I really enjoyed that interview and, uh, and the tools that Seal shared with me, <clears throat> actually, so if you visit their website or listen back to that recording, um, well worth a listen because there's some real... Real golden nuggets in there. So, to today's guest, um, we have Jackie Chappell on the show. We're going to talk about smashing through career glass ceilings. Now, um, I'd like to thank Michelle Ibs, who introduced me. Uh, Michelle is the owner of IMUPA Limited, and she very kindly introduced me to uh, Jackie Chappell. And it may be right now that you're thinking, how do I smash through to the next level? You know, perhaps um, this is in your you know career at the moment, and if you're a woman, how do you achieve this in workplaces that are male dominated, or even if you're you know you're in an environment and your 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 background means you're, you're of more diverse origins than uh, than the company. Now, Jackie had a very successful career in the rail industry. And she rose from a part time employee selling tickets to becoming the chief executive of the industry's training competency com- competence company, and that made her the first ever female CEO in the industry's history now um, for those of you who um, you know don't live, haven't visited the United Kingdom, you know British Rail really kind of manage our Our network, train network over here, it's a a vast, vast organization and a very highly known and uh, and recognized one. And Jackie led the company that she led to achieve tremendous industry and government recognition, uh, achieving in particular national training organization status. And they had phenomenal growth during her seven years at the helm. Um, following this career, Jackie created her own company, The Ironing Lady and its sister company, uh, The Cleaning Ladies, which in the last 12 years have developed a reputation for great quality and innovation, you know, despite uh, re- recent re- recession. Now, Jackie's now a very busy speaking uh, c- speaker on the career kind of speaking circuit. She addresses business expos and startups and entrepreneurial academies and many others. So. Let's have a conversation today uh, with Jackie about smashing through glass ceilings. And you know, do take some notes. Do do uh, take some notes and reflect on this afterwards. And maybe have a look at two, three ideas that you can implement in your life, in your work, that will help you to, to move forward and smash through those uh, those ceilings that uh, may be holding you back. So a huge welcome to Jackie Chappell. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm delighted to be here. You're very welcome indeed. So, Jackie, what part of the world are you, are you talking to us from today? I'm talking to you
2: from the Royal County of Berkshire. I live halfway between Windsor and Oxford, two quite famous cities.
1: That's a be- beautiful part of the world. I used to live in a, yeah. in a little town called Monks Risborough near Tame once upon a time, which uh, many years ago, it's not too far away from you, I'd imagine. Uh, that's right. But anywhere in the Thames Valley is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, also quite busy traffic wise, generally, is one thing I, I realized again last week when I was down there. I'm afraid so. <laughs> so, Jackie, you know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about to start this interview with uh, finding out a bit about your life. And I always tend to ask this question because I'm always fascinated in what life was like for uh, my guests growing up and you know what were the, the reflections you have of that and how did that help you to kind of move forward? And I believe you you know life was turned upside down a little, you know, really significantly well, for you as a teenager. Uh,
2: absolutely. Um my um mother came from the town that I live in, but she married um a Royal Naval man. And um so we moved from Pillar to Post a wee bit when I was young. And um, although we came back to Reading when I started primary school, my parents wanted me to have a stable education. We, We came back. But, of course, my dad was away on foreign commissions. You know, he served in places like Gibraltar. We might not see him for 18 months or two years. So he was quite a scary figure. He came out of the Navy when I was 10. And my life changed quite a bit then because he was very strict. We had quite a well, almost a military disciplinarian upbringing. And about, uh, I was 17 and I just left school, got my first job. And my parents announced at the dinner table one evening that they were emigrating to Australia, the other side of the world. <laughs> and I thought my life was gonna end. <laughs> I I was very shocked. I think I remember for the first time ever speaking back, which was not something we did in those days, and saying, You can't just tell me. I'm an adult. You have to discuss it with me. And the reply came, Well, if you don't like it, there's the door. So that was it. I I flew the nest. (laughs) Wow. I know yeah. that was uh, a real shock to the system I actually had a childhood sweetheart somebody I'd worshiped from about the age of 13 and was determined to marry um so I got a flat so i I had two or three jobs to sustain myself living in decent accommodation
1: and and that was it really um, yeah. I mean you must have felt did you feel very let down by your parents I mean did you
2: know that i felt let down because my father was um chasing opportunities he was quite entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. and he wasn't getting on as far as he wanted to in england and australia was hailed as the land of opportunity so off they went and um very sadly my childhood sweetheart passed away just after my 21st birthday so i um that turned my life upside down a little bit more. I think I probably went off the rails for a little while there, but uh, you know, I came back. I got married and had children, and
1: um, I became back on the right track again. It like yeah. You've done you done lots. Did lots of lots of growing up before the age of twenty one. I did. <laughs> I did. It was quite interesting. But I did. I did learn the value of hard
2: work and applying yourself and. And not settling for second best, you know, always trying to be the best you could be
1: and have the best life you could have. And do you think, therefore, in, in some way, this you know, the, the challenges of, of of growing up, and I I can imagine, you know, clearly there were some dark dark times in that. Do you think that actually had a silver lining in terms of the the platform it provided you later on in life? Absolutely absolutely because
2: when you think you're having such a hard time and I did used to think I was having a really hard time both in my childhood and you know teenage and onwards you can you and I'm not dismissing depression please don't think that I'm belittling it in any way but I always felt that I could choose I could make a choice about what kind of day that I was going to have I could let what happened to me, bring me down, or I could choose to rise above. That's in hindsight, it's easier to say it's hard to do, but I, I think I became very determined,
1: very determined. Mm. So, so you, I mean, I guess you can, you, you, you can, you can be at effect with the world, can't you? When things aren't going right, but, but, uh there is a choice, isn't there, to essentially get onto the front foot and, and, and not be affected by the world, you know, go out and, and, uh, you know, strive forward yourself yes. and, you know, rather than going into potentially that, that depression. I know it's very tough for people right now. I think the interview last week was, you know, really help was really helpful for that in yeah helping people understand that about how these things can sap our positive life energy. However, we do have a, we do have a choice, don't we? We do, and, and I know it's very hard. I, just recent times have been awful for so
2: many people, and I probably noticed a small change in myself. But I fell back on my attitude that no, no, I can choose. I can choose to rise above this. I will face it head on, and you just have to you have to find what you and your body and your emotions need. To help you get through, it might just be someone to talk to. It could be doing something different. And I know we both talked about gardening. You know, holding part of that world in your
1: hands and the benefits that it can bring. I think those simple pleasures, pleasures. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, make you realise kind of you know what is important, don't they? And being they around, around loved ones too. Is, uh it's is been important i think it's been a you know you you've clearly had some experience where the rug's been pulled from under your feet and uh and and i guess that's you know those sorts of things been you know helpful for the pandemic because they it really did pull the rug under many people's feet mm. and if you if you haven't had those tough
2: times and you were it was everybody was in that situation it wasn't just one person being made redundant and feeling dreadful it was everybody in such a difficult place and for some people so isolated and lonely and if you've nothing to fall back on that must have been horrendous but I count myself very lucky but I obviously have a, an inner core of strength that can take me through most things not
1: everything most things so talking about that inner core of strength I mean just got three minutes till commercial break but you you worked for you know British Rail and and I know talking to you, and that uh, it was very, very male dominated, and yet you managed to break through the glass ceiling. You know, just could you just tell a little, a little bit about that? How did you come to work there, and how did you, how do you break through this glass ceiling to become a chief executive? Well, my marriage, um, uh, which had taken me up to Chester with my husband's job,
2: uh, unfortunately didn't last, and I came back to my hometown, which is about three times more expensive than up north. And to pay a mortgage, I had to have more than one job. And I saw an advertisement in the, in the local paper for um, assistant ticket examiners for British Rail. And I applied. And I have to say, it was um, the most well-paid part-time job I'd ever seen. And it because it was half past five in the morning to half past nine in the morning, it meant I still had a full day to work and I would be home in the evening with my children because apart from anything else, you, you've you got to have a buffer against the mother guilt when you work full time. Yeah. You know, it's hard to be a provider and a mother. So, yes, that's how my, my career started on the railway, right at the bottom. They never had... Um, women in operational roles before they haven't had this particular role at all they were introducing it and there was huge resistance huge from all of the male train crew and well just everybody that you worked with they didn't want
1: you there absolutely not it, it's i mean we, we still haven't got to a place where things are the balance is in my opinion is is, is right yet and and uh, yet in those days, and I think, I'm, I'm assuming we're, talk, we're talking about, uh, you know, two or three, three, what are we talking about, two or three decades ago? We um, are indeed, yes. Very, very different uh, world, wasn't it? I mean, very. It was. the attitudes were were something else. Yeah. and And of course,
2: the railway was so unionised that the unions were so strong they held all of the power so any of the male staff that uh, were in a situation they didn't like had this huge these huge strong unions behind them mm. Hmm. Mm. interesting it's, times
1: yeah absolutely well we're going to come back after the break and we'll I'd like to find out about how you you dealt with some of those attitudes and, and maybe how how you know how uh, you would recommend, uh, you know, female business people to to succeed and break through the glass ceiling in you know, in maybe a world which is still a little bit more male dominated than we would like. So we're back again yeah. with you all in just a couple of minutes.
2: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here, Voice America Business Network.
0: Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jackie Chappell. And before the break, uh, Jackie was sharing about how she started off in British Rail in a ticketing role and then you know, into operational uh, roles and, uh, and experienced enormous resistance, yet she, she ultimately became a chief executive. Jackie, why don't you tell us about the steps that you took to, you know, to progress through the organization and what we can learn from that?
2: Of course, yes. So as this um revenue protection person, you know, that's what I was there for to protect revenue by selling tickets on trains to catch fare dodgers and the like. And um I did the job as cheerfully and positively as I possibly could. I always try to do the best possible job I can. And the results actually spoke for themselves, because if you're protecting revenue and the revenue goes up, it's quite visible. And they could track the sales who, who it was that was doing so well and I think part of my success in that role was because I was a woman the people that I was accosting because they didn't have a ticket found it less threatening just because I was a woman anyway the um The area manager that we had was quite a talent spotter. I'll be grateful to him forever because six months later, I was running a small station in somewhere very affluent near here and made quite a name for myself there, both from positive feedback from welcoming the customers and the difference I made to the station and obviously revenue and Within two years, I was actually doing my dream job. It was my vocation that I had trained in, which was training and development. I love to help other people be the best that they can be. And and that was where success was measured very differently. My job was to take on eight trainees at 16. I had them for two years. And at the end of the two years, I had to turn them out as fully trained and developed railway people. And I did that job for quite a long time, I absolutely loved that job. And it's probably my biggest legacy, actually, because my talent spotter of a general manager asked me if I could do something about the lack of girls applying to come onto the railway. Well within a few years, I no longer had eight trainees. He said, if I could get 50% girls, I could have as many as I liked. Within a few years, we have 40 trainees, 50% of whom were girls. And I'm so proud to I, just yesterday, actually, I was out to lunch with one of those young ladies who now has thirty one years' service on the railway and is such a senior manager. She probably earns more than I did when I was Chief Exec those years ago. So that was that was it. Uh, that's where I got to train in development manager. and because because my my success was measured with people successes, I think um I think I got quite well known and that led me to being offered the acting chief exec post when the previous incumbent was moving on. It was a temporary appointment and I found out that the reason it was a temporary appointment was because they were the government were looking to close down industry lead bodies, of which there were hundred and eighty and they wanted to deal with 70 national training organisations. So privatisation had happened. And because it wasn't British Railway anymore, belonging to this industry lead body was no longer compulsory. The memberships were just, they were leaving in droves. So I turned up on my first day to an office with um, a full-time assistant and a part-time assistant that was it and i said to the pa i said oh i've been told to read myself into the job i said but that looks like an awful lot of paperwork there and she said i wouldn't worry she said pick the magazines you like and read those she said because we'll be closed down in the blink of an eye i was so shocked i said what do you mean and she said told me about this government program i said where will the railways fit she said we're going into bus and coach as passenger services Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that passenger services is one tiny piece of the railway. There is a massive engineering operations, signals and telecoms. It's huge. And I couldn't see how that would serve the industry. So the guy that was in charge of my secondment as the chief exec, acting chief exec, I went to him and I said, we can't let this happen. That's not right for the railway. We should um, do something about it. And he said, in case you hadn't noticed, the members are leaving in droves. I suggest I did notice, but we could turn that around. Give me six months. He said, Jackie, your contract was for three. Oh, okay. Then I said, I've got three months. So I started with these really strong Union leaders. I started with them and told them what a disservice this would do to their members and their members' education, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and their skills. That privatisation. We needed a cohesive approach. Well, I won them over, and then I worked on all of the companies. And luckily, this huge network of training and development managers throughout the industry knew me, and I persuaded them along. And six
1: months later, we were celebrating national training organisation status. So, um, so, so just, so just thinking about about all of that. I mean, what, if, if uh, you know, for somebody who is uh, is is starting out in their career, um, it, you know, I'm I'm hearing messages there about building. Great relationships, being prepared to take a stand like you did with your your boss, even though he only gave you three months. I mean, from your your perspective, we distill that down to some some lessons that yeah. can help help a you know help a person in their career break through a glass ceiling, or you know or a female who is maybe in a more male dominated world. What would those lessons be? Passion, belief in your abilities. Um, they say about some people
2: they could sell. Coles to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. If you really believe it's easy to sell the idea or product if you believe in it yourself. And I did have a passion. I had a passion for the industry, for the people that worked in it, for the for the training organization itself and the work it had done all those years. I did feel passionately about it, and I was absolutely determined. I nearly the hours that i worked that i put in and the traveling and persuasion and and yes i had days where i would sit in that big masculine office and think somebody will tap me on the shoulder soon and tell me i've had my fun and run along and be a good girl but they didn't we, we actually you know myself and my one and a half people we actually we did it it was amazing and i think the as i say the passion and the belief Spread. You you surround yourself with like-minded people, and you you form
1: networks, and yeah, you get the job done. Yeah, yeah. So 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 this is about you know you talk about the pa- passion. Some of this is about the the kind of way you show up each yes. each day. You're going to work, and every day, keep keeping that energy up. And yes, about passion and that you know. Uh, you, know, you see, in some organisations, and I'm, you know, I, I use British Rail certainly before the pandemic regularly, and you know, <laughs> you, you meet some people who um, you know they're about as engaging as a paper bag, and then you meet other people who sparkle and shine, don't they? Um, they do, and, and it's that sparkling and shining and energising. I think is what you're you're kind of referring to here as as, as passion, and it's infectious, isn't it? It is, its is. and you if you to to add value to any role that you're
2: in, you've got to be passionate and energetic and and, and bring the best to the table. Mm. You know you, you that's what you've got to do. you owe it to the organization. And as a leader, which was what I had become, even more so, absolutely, you've got to have the energy and and the belief and the conviction. you know still. We did get the national training organisation status, and very kindly, <laughs> the the guy who was my my um, manager, if you like, while I was just on to or acting, I had to go and meet with him. They didn't interview for the post; it was it was offered to me. So I went to sign a new contract with them, and he pushed it across the table. Um, I think he was quite shocked and probably. He was one of those people, you know, when you get told, oh, you know, walking down the school corridor, you will melt to nothing. And and he said, oh, you'll never do it. Oh, I love a challenge. So he pushed across the contract and he said to me, well, well done. I never believed you'd do it, but well done. I said, well, thank you very much. Looked at the contract. I said, oh, oh, I said, I think there's a typo here. He said, where's that then? I said, just here, the salary. And he said, but that's what we were paying you before. Ah, yes. I said, but we're we're a completely different boat now, aren't we? I'm a chief executive. That is not chief executive salary. And it's certainly not even a female chief executive salary, because obviously there was disparity. And um, I don't think he was very happy about that. I was so glad he was no longer going to be my line manager from then <laughs> onwards. I reported to a board of directors, as was suitable for my position (laughs) anyway he said I'm guessing you have a figure in mind I said well not necessarily a figure in mind I know what the figure is that chief executives of national training organisations get paid and it was almost double and I got it (laughs) so I knew I was worth it I knew that's what the going rate was so to speak and I'm when you've been brought up quite strictly, it's quite hard to not answer back, but to challenge authority. And it, it's just too easy to be meek and sign on the dotted line. But once you've done that, you've devalued yourself. It would have taken me a long, long time of pay rises to double my salary, which was what I should have been paid.
1: So yeah, it was worth standing my ground. It's a really good point that about standing ground and those those negotiations around salary are quite quite pivotal, aren't they? And uh, the way you do it can 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 go down badly if you don't do it very carefully. Um, what what, yes. have, what, what we you know I've been looking at some statistics and that men are much more likely to negotiate and have a discussion around their salary than than uh, females and and that's one of the factors which partly explains you know dis- disparity it's only one of the factors yeah. um you know it, it's uh you know from your experience it sounds like this is you know pretty important that uh that women stand up for themselves
2: exactly and i i Heard you know the, the the disparity on for example the BBC where you have a, a, a male counterpart a lady they're sat on the sofa together well they're doing the same job why should why should gender mean that you get twice as much as the other person I think it's because as you say women don't always ask and you if you don't ask you won't get. But but if you knew that you were doing as good or better a job as your male male counterpart,
1: why wouldn't you challenge? Why wouldn't you ask why the difference? Yeah. We, We had a... Another fascinating guest on a few weeks ago, Jennifer Justice. Who, uh, for those of you who listened to that, might remember she was the former for seventeen years Jay Z's uh, entertainment lawyer, and she worked with Beyonce and Rihanna and all sorts of uh, amazing stars. And she was talking about this challenge about getting her career kind of off off the ground and uh, and go, talking to organisations that were well, nearly all all male. And she was just sort of just describing how you know. Where, where a man might be seen as being driven, a, a woman who maybe is challenging about things like pay could be seen as whiny or bitchy. She was using words like that, and she was saying that there's a, also a, you know, a language and a, and a perception sometimes which can be we frowned upon, which don't help. How do you overcome that, do you think?
2: Um, I think take
1: advice. I,
2: w- I was lucky to be surrounded. The board of directors wasn't all male for... The national Training Organization. We did get women on there as well. And that's like a line, you know, aligning yourself with like-minded people. And they, they'll help you and practice, you know, take advice, practice and network and just be surrounded by supportive people to give you um, you don't have to be challenging. I, you know, but I did say, well, there's a typo and kind of led into it like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's um you, know, you, you have to you actually you say you have to do it in a in a an appropriate way. But I, what you've got me thinking about is because I, I I've now had well, 30, thirty odd years of work experience since I came out of university. I can't quite believe it, it goes quite quick. And yes. and, and there were certain moments in your career when we when you've been around a little t- time that you can look back on and you realise there were they were pivotal moments in your career really weren't they and you know and how you behaved in those those moments you know determined uh, your your future and that negotiation that you had around your salary you know you could have been on half the salary and uh, which would have been completely unfair but as you say it could have taken you a long long time to ever get back up to that that was a that was a key moment wasn't it that you had to yeah, get right it was absolutely key, and it was um,
2: quickly followed by another one, but at uh, this time, oh, there might be time to tell you. As a new chief executive, I got invited to the cross-industry chief executives meeting, and uh, I was at the top of Railtrack House, as it was then, and all these men knew each other, and they'd networked, I thought I'd get there early because otherwise they'd be in their clicks and I would be too frightened to, to break into any of them. So I bought the most expensive black suit, new briefcase. I thought I'd get there early, got there early. I made a mistake a little bit too early. So the chief executive of Railtrack Track was there and a couple of secretaries putting out notepaper and water pencils. And As I approached, the chief executive of RailTrack, as he was then, said to me, oh, handy, he said, you must be the minute taker. (laughs) Well, there's a moment, what do you say when you're so used to not challenging authority? I said, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, I'm not. I said, I'm Jackie Chappell, and I am the chief executive of your national training organisation. I take mine black, please. Just cheeky with a little grin and his little face. It was, he, he blushed Uh, and I, I made the joke because um, he was obviously quite uncomfortable to have done that to somebody.
1: (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) I mean, that was well worth getting there early (laughs) for, he learned learned an important lesson that probably. probably I did. (laughs) And And he probably could reflect it now if he was here. I remember that as a key moment. I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> never assume. Yeah. So go and to- I never,
2: never oh. wore black again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're going to get to commercial break now, and after the commercial break, we're going to um, gain some more tips, ideas, some more tips and ideas and thoughts on how we can break through this glass ceiling. But we've got lots of, you know, in here. There's been little nuggets around. I think around you need energy, keeping that pas- passion up keeping moving forward and keeping on acting, believing, um, but also being prepared to take a stand in those pivotal moments. And, uh, and also, you know, Jackie there was kind of protecting, protecting her brand, really, and, and, and teaching other people lessons on how to behave. So we're going to be back again in just a couple of minutes after the break. Do join us. From the boardroom
0: to you, Voice America Business Network. facilitated leader development workshops and speeches email info at be to arrange a free no obligation consultation to see how chris and his team can help you have you become a member yet sign up now
2: to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy
0: Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back
1: to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jackie Chapel, and we were talking about uh, Jackie's fascinating career history and some of those incidents and situations that occurred. And I'm interested, uh, Jackie, if you have any, you know, tips for women in terms of you know standing out from the crowd in you know busy and often male-dominated workplaces.
2: I do. After after my um, disastrous entrance at the uh, cross-industry chief execs meeting, I vowed not to wear black again, and my trademark became brightly coloured jackets, especially shocking pink. And I always say, never underestimate the power of a pink jacket. (laughs) It became my trademark when I started the speaking career. And I have a little anecdote. I was speaking about uh, working in male-dominated industry and the fact that it hasn't changed as much as it could have, really. We're we're getting there, but not as much as we should have. And at the end of the talk, um, a lady came up to me and there she was in a very nice black suit, but she looked and behaved in quite a timid way. And she approached me, she said, could I ask you a question? I said, love you to, uh, you know, anybody who's, who resonates with my story. And I feel like that my job is done. And so she asked me a question. She said, I work in an engineering company, she said, and I feel invisible. (laughs) And she said, it's very difficult. I said, have you, have you always worn black To work or she said, Well, I've just had a baby. She said, I used to wear a red suit, and that used to get me give me a lot of confidence. She said, But I don't quite fit into it. And I said, Wear the jacket, unbuttoned if you must, but wear the jacket. Wear black trousers underneath if you if that's what you've got to fit, but wear the jacket and walk tall. And she smiled, she said, You are right, she said. And I said to her, you know, it's like glass, glass ceilings are like glass slippers. They're beautiful and it's great to smash through them, but those glass slippers are not comfortable. It isn't comfortable being in that kind of position, but you just have to challenge and you have to do whatever you can do that makes you feel powerful and confident
1: and it will make you walk tall. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Glass ceilings are like glass slippers and, Uh, standing out from the crowd if you do the same as everybody else you just um, you're going to get dret uh, like everybody else of course yeah kind of almost part of a sort of a a big organization's part of a an amorphous (laughs) large expansive group of similar people can't you you can and if if you're in a conference
2: for example I was at the QE2 Centre in, in uh, Westminster in London. I actually was the keynote speaker that day. And it was just this crowd of 2,000 people in grey and black charcoal suits. And one of the chief execs of a, a prominent engineering company came up to me. He said, Jackie, you're looking very pink, this trademark pink jacket. I said, was I difficult to find? And he said, no. I said, <laughs> Did his job. Then <laughs> he laughed. You know, and so it's not just stand out of the crowd in a bright jacket. You want to stand out from the crowd from your
1: confidence and your ability, but the pink jacket helps. <laughs> you've got me. Th- you've got me thinking now, actually, because uh, those people will probably go back to their 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 charcoal, grey, and black and white cars in the car park, and uh, yes. You got me thinking about, I've got a charcoal grey car, we'll have, have a colourful one next time. <laughs> They're easy to find in the car park. <laughs> uh, very true. They will stand out, won't they? Yeah. They will stand out. I, was, I used to work many years ago, I worked for a, a van and truck company and, and I went to a concert in Sheffield and uh, with, with a, um, a very tall uh, refrigerated um actually refrigerated panel van people didn't realize that and um i think the great thing firstly was people thought you were part of part of the band and uh, we got lots of lot waved at but then when we came out uh, out of the arena you know out of all the sea of cars uh my big um high high panel van was uh completely visible um so yes that stand out from the crowd so if t- t- you've um you know you've you' obviously moved on from British Rail and you created your own company, you created with the Iron Ironing Lady and its sister company, the Cleaning Ladies, which uh, you' you did for you know, the last twelve years. And you know, what what have been your learnings from setting up your own business and uh, any top tips? Uh, for yes. i I left uh, the railway
2: couple of years after the big Paddington crash because that was the train I used to catch to work every day Mm -hmm. but luckily I was in Greece on holiday lots of friends and colleagues not quite so lucky and I felt as if I'd had a little tap on the shoulder for a change of direction and my first grandchild had just been born and I wanted to be very much part of her life and I couldn't do it with the hours that I was working or the commuting and travelling so I did um have an exit plan that I put into place after all the consultant consultancy and uh, inquiries on the Pattinson crash I I, felt I owed it to the industry to stay and see that through then I left and I I kind of I did I think I probably was a little bit burnt out by the time I left retired shall we say and I did have six months of naval gazing deciding really where i was going to go from there and i decided that all the time that i was a busy executive not being able to find a reliable ironing service a reliable cleaning service that did it to the standard i wanted meant there must be a niche in the market if i couldn't find them there must be lots of other people that couldn't find them so i decided I would start the ironing lady and the cleaning ladies, and I love that our customers tell us most days. I don't know how I'd cope without you. And that's
1: such a lovely position to be in. So lovely. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I guess those areas too. It's um, it's it's nice to have have people who, in a way where where there's maybe standards set and things like that and you can trust yes coming into your absolutely. home absolutely because i am so
2: fussy so picky so the cleaners know that they have to do a good job because if they can't please me i can't send them out to my customers and as many people say, I just couldn't cope. If please don't ever close down because I just wouldn't be able to cope. Well, it's difficult when you have recessions and um, lockdowns, but I, I just, their words are ringing in my ears, you know, please don't ever shut down, I could cope without you. So that, that really is kind of enough to make you get up every day and make sure that the business is successful. It's hard. It's actually one of the hardest ways to to earn a living. I not that I iron or clean. I have staff that do it, but it is quite hard to uh, to
1: make a living. It's quite it's quite quite a commodity, I imagine. Yes, yeah. If if you were, if you're in a recession and you
2: had to think of ways to cut corners on your expenditure, I would imagine that doing your own ironing would save you quite a bit and so we're doing your own chores yeah. um and it would make sense to cut corners there so we aren't a supermarket where you have to eat or whatever you do have to
1: earn your place in those people's lives and how do you cope with the with the pandemic in terms of you know, people not being able to come into yeah. others houses i mean we, we had a we've got a lovely lady who cleans for us and she's almost a became a a family member almost. But, you know, obviously there were months when she couldn't come into the house and um, just because of the practicalities of it, really. I know. We were so lucky. We had a
2: few, quite a few clients and quite a few corporate clients that said, "Um, we know you can't come, but we'll pay you as a retainer or we'll pay you 50% as a retainer. We want you to still be there when normality returns mm. and we part of the business also supports people who need uh, care in the home and not by care I don't mean personal care I mean household care like mm. cleaning and changing the beds and things doing the laundry so we were allowed to continue with some of those customers and we do all the laundry for the local care homes so that kind of kept us ticking over 50, I would say 50% of, of, I did put a lot of people on furlough, but now we're running at probably 50% of the staff we had before the pandemic. But they love it because they're really, really busy now and they don't want us to take on
1: more staff because they love all the extra hours. So yeah. win-win. That sounds good. So just going back, we're coming towards the end of the interview now. And uh, you know, thinking back, we, we started off talking about your in your know, younger life, and, uh, and in this pivotal moment when you were seventeen, and when you were you were you were twenty one, and working multiple jobs, and if you could go back and give some advice now to that younger you who was struggling with all those multiple jobs uh, and with parents you're the other side of the world, what would you be? What advice would you give to yourself?
2: um i think it's important yes to be the best you can be and not let any insecurities hold you back but i think you need to look after yourself mentally and physically know what your body really needs it's quite difficult to stand up from the crowd and be really brave and you know achieving all this stuff if if you haven't looked after yourself mentally and physically um I think as well, align yourself with like-minded people. Get a mentor. There's plenty of people around that, you know, can support you in your journey. I wish I had a mentor all those years ago. I have now. I have somebody or, or a group of people that I speak to. We mentor each other, if you like. Um, so, yes, and value yourself. And I think one of the things is about survive and thrive. And I've seen lots of things online about resilience training, uh, which I think I don't know enough about it. But I think you have to have the support networks. If you're overworked or, or isolated, I don't think any amount of training can help without the right environment to thrive in. Yeah. So I guess really it's to make sure that you do have someone who's got your back, I guess.
1: Yeah. yeah. And do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with?
2: Um, I would like to think that we've all listened to this and we've heard how hard it was. And it still can be difficult now. And I think we have to lay the path for others. I read Jennifer Palmieri's book, um, the letter, open letter to, good uh, mm-hmm. is it, Good morning, Madam President. And she talks about Barack Obama. He would have meetings. And quite often, at the end of the meeting, there would be a couple of people in the room who hadn't spoken or contributed. And it was noticeable that it was nearly always the women that held themselves back. And he would never close the meeting without going around the table and asking if any anybody had anything to add. So if you... If you can do that as a leader for other people in your network, you know, just give them the chance to speak out. If they're too, timid to do it alone, give them a hand up. I think we all owe it to not just women, but to everybody to play it forward. Such give a the Jackie, everybody a
1: hand up. We've got to end it there. I'm really, really sorry. Um, if you want to, want to get in, um, find out more about Jackie, uh, JackieChapel.biz, is that correct, Jackie? Yes. Yes. Jackie Chapel. That's done with, with two P's and two L's. Go to JackieChappell.biz and you can find out there how you can, you know, connect with Jackie or, um, you know, find out what she does in terms of her speaking. If you want to book her for a speaking event uh, on next week's show, we've got Lara Steen, um, the founder of TEDx and Boma Global. Um, uh, as a consequence of uh, Lara, that over 40,000 TEDx, I believe, have occurred around the world. And we're going to talk about empowering leaders to build a better tomorrow. Any questions, any thoughts, any ideas? I'd love to hear from you at, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Have a, have a wonderful week and do go and smash through some, some glass ceilings. All the very best. We
0: thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show.